Good morning, planet Earth. Good morning to the people outside of Scompton. Good morning to the township of Grinken and to all the people living in the, the age of Bo Blimptock. It is March the 9th, 2022, right around 2 a.m. Mountain Standard Time here in the glowing golden state of Utah. Yes, right around 2 a.m. on March the 9th, 2022. Can you believe it, brothers and sisters? Two years ago, we were told about the monkey herpes. It was destroying the planet, this evil virus, this evil bug was in your rug. Yes, two years ago, it was all the Rona all the time, and it didn't really end, did it? And I remember one of my earlier podcasts back then, in the in the time of Grinken, back in March of 2020, I had a couple podcasts with my friend Jim Davidson. And we both discussed the concept of Snow Day. And one of the bold claims I made is that Snow Day just can't last longer than three months. I mean, it could last three months, but not much longer, really. Now, you could say, well, Dan, you were wrong. Here's the deal. I was and I wasn't, in my opinion. I definitely was wrong about Snow Day ending. Um, I think the three months was accurate. If they had any intention, any intention of quote-unquote, returning to normal, it would have happened in 2020, brothers and sisters. What we've learned since then is it's not one trauma monkey. It's the Rona monkey. It's the George Floyd was murdered by a white cop monkey, the racist war monkey, the Andy No Clue, Ian Miles Wrong, uh, Paul Joseph What's Up monkey. Yeah, and then you got the Russia, Russia, Russia monkey, which has been around for a while, actually. And you have, you know, oh my God, look at how bad Trump is, monkey. And January 6th, trauma monkey keeps delivering. All we've been exposed to is one fear campaign after another. And the actual solidity of any of these uh, trauma monkeys is zero. There is no density. They are not real. Okay? The only difference between Bigfoot and the Rona is people don't kill themselves or overdose in general about the existence of Bigfoot. People don't fucking care that much. They don't. But you tell people that if you don't wear your mask, you're going to kill grandma. And then a few weeks later, grandma dies in one of the many shitty American hospitals. And believe me, I've worked in these systems. I can tell you they were shitty 12 years ago. Do you think they've improved since the fucking Rona? Do you? So they, they tell you that the grandma died because you didn't wear your mask and you're already severely depressed in your fucking lonely apartment someplace and you kill yourself or you overdose or you don't treat your diabetes or you don't treat your cancer and you die. You see, that generally doesn't happen because of fucking Bigfoot. What I can tell you, brothers and sisters, is what I told you a year ago. Whatever the fuck they're hiding, the longer this lasts, the worse it, the worse it is. If it was just another economic issue, another 2008 snow day, uh, 
fuck you day, mind fuck season would have ended in the summer of 2020 if it was only about a bunch of shitty human beings stealing and raping and killing brothers and sisters. These shitty people have been doing this for thousands of years. Why would they stop it? They've had all the power. They had all the power they needed to turn your world off, to turn people's worlds off, to scare people to fucking death. What more power did they actually need? And before you go down the road of, well, Dan, it's like Nazi Germany. No, 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 no. We've been there, done that. We toxified Southeast Asia so that babies born there are going to get cancer, going to have birth defects for thousands of years. We have spooled and sprayed and spread depleted uranium all over the Gulf, all over Afghanistan as a result of using the weapons we use. Children will be born there with birth defects and will get cancer for thousands of fucking years. We have mass graves all over this country. Sure, we know about Wounded Knee. We know about the Trail of Tears. But brothers and sisters, are you that fucking stupid? Do you think those are the only times we killed a bunch of Native Americans? You, you really believe that? I think an intelligent, you know, researcher, a historian, with the right kind of technology, could go across this country and find thousands of mass graves. Thousands of places where U.S. Cavalry, cavalry killed people, murdered people, you know, dumped their bodies someplace. They, maybe in a lot of cases, they didn't even bury the bodies. They just left them for the wolves and the other coyote creatures, the other monsters to feed upon the bones. Why are you telling me about Nazi fucking Germany? Why? That's your own fear, monkey brothers and sisters. If you think what we're facing is Nazi Germany in 1933. You have not been paying attention. This is not Nazi Germany, 1933. This is Berlin, 1945. And, and it's not about the Russians, brothers and sisters. It really isn't. Okay? We have, uh, we, when I say we, I don't think we made the choice individually as Americans. We were never given the choice. But the United States has participated in multiple global schemes, including the petrodollar, that has pushed the world to the brink. And, and frankly, the people that have had the power in this country have sold you on a bunch of stuff that's garbage. But yeah, I don't really know what's happening. What I know is the longer this lasts, the worse it is. And, and we're way past economic financial crisis territory here, brothers and sisters. Way past that. If it... Excuse me, if it was that, it would have ended a year ago, at least. So we are well beyond. It's a financial crisis and they're stealing your money. Your money is gone. You just don't know it yet. Your American dream is extinct. You just don't know it yet. And we are facing consequences. This is something I believe is true. I believe we're facing tremendous consequences. I also think... We can get through this, but we have to make one of the toughest choices every child has to make when they want to become an adult. We have to choose liberty. We have to choose independence. We have to choose to take care of things on our own. If you're going to wait around for a black helicopter to drop water bottles on you, to, to help you out, let me, let me just get this out of the way. If you do see a drone, it isn't coming to deliver breakfast, all right? 
If it's a government drone in the near future, it's probably coming to deliver a barbecue, a la Hellfire missile, a la, you know, they're going to they're gonna blow up your house. That's, that's what they're going to do. If they can still do that, and I don't think they can, but they're not going to deliver food. What I know after two years, as crazy as I sound, is the same thing I knew a year ago. The longer this lasts, the worse it is. And they do not control the schedule. If they controlled the schedule, this would have ended in 2020, brothers and sisters. So whatever the fuck they're hiding, they don't control it. Now, best case scenario, it's collapse. Okay? Really. It's not stagflation. It's not hyperinflation. You are all, if you still believe that, and most of my listeners are pretty smart, so I'm not really talking to my listeners here, but if there were people who could hear my voice who still believed that the worst case scenario is stagflation, you are bargaining. You are, you are in denial, anger, and bargaining. You are stuck in a turning circle. You need to get off. And yeah, when you get off, you're going to get depressed. All right? But after depression comes acceptance. I don't believe it's the end of the world. I don't. And as far as the book of Revelations goes, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I believe in God. And I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for every human being that was ever born to save our souls, to take us to heaven, if we can only have the faith. But I got to tell you something, just because I believe that doesn't mean I get suckered and doesn't mean that, you know, oh, well, then it must be the end times. No, I hate to break it to you. There's a really good book I've recommended multiple times. I will recommend again because, you know, like I said two years ago, and it's been two years, I don't know how much longer this podcast will exist. I can tell you when GoDaddy fucked me back in November, I was pretty close to giving up on it because at the end of the day, I didn't have, I didn't, well, at the time, I didn't have the fucking money to do anything else, all right, just to give up. I, I had no money, no cash. I was basically facing the reality that, you know, best case scenario, I was going to be a code monkey for somebody in Utah for some period of time, and I would be going back to the same cycle of existence, and that was best case scenario. And maybe that sounds good to you. I, I don't know. I can tell you that that life almost destroyed me. They do not control the schedule. They don't control the schedule. And what they're doing right now is akin to remodeling your home with dynamite. But if you want to read a book that might help, it's called The Distant Mirror by Barbara Tuckman. I'm sure she's been canceled or, you know, made into an unperson or, or probably been labeled a racist at this point. I don't give a fuck. A Distant Mirror by Barbara Tuckman. Read that book. Read it with your fucking family. Come to understand the simple fact that there have been multiple times in human history. Okay? You may think six or seven hundred years ago is ancient history. It's not. It's not. Seven hundred years ago may seem like a long time ago. But if you believe any of the garbage they told you in school, it's not much in a billion years. It isn't. It's, it's a blink of the eye. A blink of the eye ago, people in Europe, okay, not the whole world necessarily, but people in Europe believed it was the end of the world. It was the 14th century and everything was going sideways. And they didn't have make-believe pandemic. They had real black plague, horrible pus. Nobody was dancing like nurses 
reality pandemic. They had the real fucking thing, not the make-believe psyop that pretty much kills by scaring people to death. No. They had the real fucking thing. And people thought it was the end of the world, and it wasn't. Less than a hundred years after the Great Black Plague of the 14th century, there was the Renaissance. The lights were coming back on again. The world, and I believe through the love of Christ, healed. So if you think it's the end of the world, don't be so fucking sure. But I can tell you this, it's not your fucking job, and it's not mine. Okay, there is one person I know, Jesus Christ, who is in charge of the plan, and it's not me, I'm not Jesus, and neither are you. So let's all just stop with the it's the end of the world bullshit, because that's the crap that also scares people to death. Before I go too much further into this podcast, and I've already unblobliated for almost 15 minutes, for the podcasts I do into the near future, I'm going to do a status update on the project I'm working on, which is radengineering.tech. And yeah, I'm trying to start an engineering firm during a time in American history, human history, say, well, how can you start a business? How can I not? How can we not? If we actually call ourselves Americans, if you actually are dedicated to any of the principles that motivated the folks that fought against the Brits. I don't mean the people that stole your freedom and sold it back to you with a Bill of Rights. How did that work out? I mean the ones who actually fought the Brits. How can you think about those folks and tell yourself it's not the right time? It is the right time to do the following, to be free, to believe in yourself. So yes, I'm starting an engineering firm with my partner, Justin, 50-50 all the way. Right now, we don't have a lot of money, but we have a lot of dreams. And I know that dreams don't buy you food and they don't pay the rent. But I don't know how to put this, brothers and sisters. There's another book I'll recommend, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. You may think it's about food. You may think it's about water. You may think it's about comfort. But there's actually more. There's more that we should be concerned with. Even if you're an atheist, I don't give a fuck. You could be a fucking atheist, but there is more to life than simply shoving stuff down your gob hole, going to sleep at night, fucking your fucking girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever. There is more to life than the simple finite state machine of existence. There is a lot more. So I'm starting this engineering company because I need more than just food. I need more than just water. I'm not speaking for you, brothers and sisters. You might need other things. I need more than just the basics. I need a reason. Okay. Now, the Lord in heaven is a great reason, but he does tell us in many ways, in many parts of the scripture, in the New Testament and as the Lord in the Old Testament. He tells us in the Psalms. He tells us everywhere that we should at least try to make something of this life. He doesn't expect us to be super rich. He doesn't expect you to be super powerful. But if you read the Bible, there is a basic message. This life, even this fallen world life, is worth something. It is worth waking up in the morning. It is worth that one good day in 10 days where you're happy. And as someone who suffers from severe depression, I gotta tell you, one good day in 10 is pretty fucking good. Since this project has started, I think I've averaged about 
five out of seven days a week where I wake up in the morning and I think to myself, maybe today I don't have to, you know, get drunk. I'm still drinking, but I'm not drinking as much and I'm also not as focused on it. Five out of seven days a week now, I wake up and think to myself, God damn it, today's a good day. I'm gonna, I want to take the dogs for a walk, not out of guilt, but because I want to. Five out of seven days right now, I can put in an honest day's work. And even though I'm not getting paid yet, I feel as if I am. Five out of seven days. And for someone that suffers from depression, that's pretty fucking good. You want to ask why we should be doing this? Don't ask why. Don't, don't think on it too deeply necessarily. You should use your logic and reason. But for a moment, just pause and ask yourself, what are you living for? I'm not asking you to live for commie bullshit. That's bullshit. I'm not asking you to lay on the graves or build the graves or kill the peoples for some stupid war. That's, that's also kind of commie bullshit. No. What are you living for? What, what is your pursuit? If you're a Christian, you could say, I, I am pursuing the kingdom life, and that's appropriate, and that's okay. But what does that fucking mean? Because it has to mean something. If it's an empty ritual, you need to read the letters at the beginning of the book of Revelations. You don't have to read anything past it. You should, but you don't have to. But you need to read the letters. Because if your definition of devotion is going through a bunch of empty, empty fucking rituals, then you do not understand the message of Christ. You don't. Okay, devotion to Christ, the kingdom life, is a connected organic thing. It isn't something you do on Sunday or Saturday. It's something you try to do every fucking day of the week. And let me tell you, we, we screw up. We make mistakes, but we try. You want to ask me why I'm doing this? I'm doing this because I think Christ wants me to do this. And I know that for some people, you know, especially us science technology folks, it probably sounds scary. For me, it's actually quite meaningful. It doesn't mean you have to be a Christian to believe in what I'm doing. It doesn't mean you have to be a Christian at all. I'm telling you my story. I'm telling you the reason why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because, yes, I think Justin and I are a pretty good combo. And yes, all things being equal, I think we have more than a chance in hell to succeed. And yes, I'm doing it because the meaning I need beyond the bread, beyond the water, beyond the shelter, beyond the basic shit that any dog would want, the meaning is there too. So anywho, before I get too gushy-gashy, because this is going to be a long podcast, related to the business, I've had a hard time doing podcasts because I've been focusing on writing code. I have written a fair amount, but I got more to write. The good news is, for the beta version, the complete ecosystem, I'm about a week away from from basically installing it on my friend's laptop and we have a couple customers so we're going to be sending them the complete kit to include the notes application which is which in essence is going to be the user interface for the rad terminal right now and yeah i'm using apache web server as an application server oh my god dan are you saying you're going to run apache on these computers not only am i going to do that but because of the approach we're taking it's going to be easier to find people who can do the development work in the future it is a basic open source lamp approach linux apache mysql some python for the code, the plumbing code that's going to make the system work in version one, and I hope every version, because I think we should keep things simple. 
Um, but yeah, I'm basically serving it up as a web server that's going to run on your computer. And anybody could install the software. You know, if you understand how to install LAMP, that's Linux Apache MySQL, or WAMP, which is Windows Apache MySQL. If you can set those things up and set up Python 3 and install that Maidenhead library, because we do want to attract radio people. And if you don't know what Maidenhead is, it's a grid square system for, you know, transmitting where you're at. Yeah, we're about a week away from our first packets, uh, excuse me, kits, rad terminal kits being put together. And perhaps in the next couple weeks, the first ones will show up at people's homes, the first customers. So how is it doing? We got a couple customers, brothers and sisters. We have a couple customers and we started this journey two months ago. So how's it going? I think it's going pretty good. Now, are we going to ruffle people's feathers talking about internet capabilities using CB radio, CB FM, and then other frequencies in the future with a goal of 56K? And I know, oh, damn, 56K. Yeah, 56K over the radio in two years. Maybe sooner, maybe a lot sooner. And then who knows? I mean, you know, our motto at Rad Engineering is the frequency is the limit, but that means a couple things. If you're a mathematician, that definitely means a couple things in terms of calculus, but the frequency is the limit. We're going to go as far as we can. We're going to build out technologies that allow us to have an internet that can function outside the scope of government. And I can't think of a more American thing to do. Better yet, we're going to develop encryption tools. Now, the first tools are going to be basic. Right now, we have an AES-256 cipher that I found a person that produced in England, fully referenced that person. Right now it's AES-256. It will operate in a JavaScript context on your client, which means if you're disconnected from the internet, it'll still encrypt, it'll still work. Um, but AES symmetric 256 is just where we're starting. It's the beginning. It's not the end point. And another good thing about this approach is that because we can push data over CB radio, and because I'm trying to keep the approach from a software standpoint relatively simple, it also means we can push updates over the radio. Because basically we're talking about lines of Python code, lines of JavaScript code, lines of PHP, and some SQL code, all of which could be pushed over the radio. Yeah, it might take a day to get your update. Well, gee, have you connected to Microsoft lately? And here's the, the best part. We can't really afford to send garbage over the CB radio. Because if your, your comeback is, well, what's your bandwidth today? Well, here's what we figured out this week. I was wrong about 100 characters every 10 minutes. It's more like 50 characters a minute. And I believe it's going to get better than that with the right type of encoding framework. I think we'll get to 100 characters a minute pretty soon. Maybe not version 1, but very, very soon. At 100 characters a minute, you know, a basic simple update to a script might only take a half an hour, might only take an hour or so to get these types of updates. But you're not going to be pushing viruses and Trojans over this, and there's plenty of time for an intelligent person to observe the updates long before they ever get implemented. The bottom line is that, yes, we won't have the, we won't have the bandwidth of Comcast in version 1. We probably won't have the bandwidth of Comcast in version 2, but we also won't have all the viruses and the garbage. That's a, that's a plus. And if what you're interested in is just communicating with your neighbor, 
if you install JSA call today, if you have a CB radio with, you know, single sideband and, you know, FM for the future, because we're going to FM pretty soon. Um, we're not abandoning AM. We're not abandoning CB. That is not our philosophy either. We, we don't believe in that crap. That's what Microsoft and Apple does. We're not going to enforce any type of deliberate obsolescence. And there's nothing obsolete about these other bands. If you're interested primarily in communicating textually with text, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your family, especially in situations where the power's out and you don't have any means of connecting to anyone on the internet, um, this is going to work right now. Out of the door, you can, you can install JS8 Call, not have any of our software, and this would be working today. This would be a lifeline today. Today, you can set up your equipment. We are going to educate people, and we're already doing it, to do this themselves. If you're asking, well, Dan, can I do this myself? The answer is yes. Now, are we communists? No. This is our first product line and our first service line. It's, it's the first thing we're doing. It's not the only thing we're doing. Do we intend to make money doing it? Absolutely. We're not communists. Do we intend to make some ridiculous profit and screw people? That's also not the plan. The plan is to retain customers. I know that sounds old-fashioned. Customer retention? Isn't it better to make something talk, have it explode in their butthole? Chances are lazy American goes to Walmart, buys same shitty tricycle again. Yeah, I had a tricycle incident. Yeah. Customer retention is part of our philosophy. We are believers in right to repair, which means if you buy something from us, you have a right to take it apart, rebuild it, whatever. Now, that doesn't mean right to blame other people for your mistakes. That's not what right to repair means. But it does mean that what we're going to give you, if you're competent with PHP code, with MySQL code, with Python, if you're competent dealing with you know issues of inter-process communication, what we're going to give you is a platform for you to be as creative as you want to be, okay? Now, out of the box, we're going to give you something that works, and we're going to educate you on using it. But if you say to yourself, well, Dan, what if I want to do this or this or that? What if I want to add a table to the database? Go ahead. What if I want to modify the Python script that's the bridge between JS8? Go ahead. What if go ahead? You know, you buy it, you get to break it. You don't get to blame other people if you break it, but if you're asking me, are we going to abandon you if you do something, if you make a mistake? No. No. We're going to get you back up and running. If you decide to dig into the system and you make a mistake, we are going to help you. So I know that sounds crazy to you know, people. Customer retention, that's crazy. You want to keep your customers? Yes. And we want to get new ones. We do. We want to do something that maybe hasn't happened in this country in a while. We want to build a company based on value. We're not going to do an IPO, by the way. No IPO. If you want to invest, <laughs> actually, this is a golden opportunity because you're going to have a chance to invest in our company if you want to invest, if you have the money, and you're going to get a piece of the action. Right now, we're looking for someone who has about a hundred grand. And we're going to give them 5%. And you say, well, 5%, Dan, shouldn't they get more if they give you 100 grand? Well, you need to meditate on this. We need these percentages 
for new employees. We need these percentages for future investment. Um, Justin and I are 50-50, but what we have left is for investment and employee retention. So for 100 grand, we are going to give someone 5%, a real 5% stake in an LLC. We are not gonna do an IPO. What we are gonna do is basically a kind of annual um, distribution. Very, very classic business model. If we make a profit that year, you're gonna get some money. And 5% means you're gonna get 5% of what we define as profit. Now, yeah, we're gonna put some money towards investment, okay? We're gonna to try to think about the future and not just eat our seed corn. But if your question is, what do I get for 5%? If I'm right about my estimates, in a couple of years, you're probably gonna make several million dollars. No, you're not gonna make a billion dollars. You're gonna make several million, perhaps more, and again, you can adjust for whatever inflation or hyperinflation happens. I don't care. I don't think it's going to be hyperinflation. I think it's going to be just, you know, currency collapse. And so in a couple years, we may not be talking in terms of dollars. It might be, how many ounces of gold do I get? Well, let's think about this for a second. For roughly, um, yeah, you know, if an ounce of gold is around 2K right now going up, you know, 50 times that is 100, right? So for 50 ounces of gold, for 50 ounces of gold, you could end up with, I don't know, maybe a quarter ton of gold in, in a couple years, maybe more. I don't know because I don't do these gold transactions in my head instantaneously. But for about 50, one ounce, 0.99 ounces of gold, I think you're going to be like Midas in a couple years. So we are looking for investors because we gotta keep the lights on. But this is an opportunity. I have never in my fucking adult life felt comfortable selling anything. What I am selling you now, in my opinion, is real. That doesn't mean it's guaranteed because that would be a lie. Anybody that tells you an investment is guaranteed is a grifter. There is no guarantee. Okay, I'm not going to tell you, buy a Bitcoin, it'll just get bigger and bigger and bigger. We'll talk about that in a bit, brothers and sisters. But no, I'm not going to sell you guaranteed. I'm going to sell you that this is the first time in my life I cared about something enough and believed in something enough from a business perspective that I am selling it. I'm selling it because it represents America. I am selling it because it represents freedom. And I am selling it because it gives us a chance in hell. What rad engineering is about is not just building cool stuff. Lots of companies do that. What we want to do is build cool stuff, but also we want to taunt and to trick and to poke and to prod other Americans into doing the same thing. We want to convince people to give up on their helplessness, to give up on the idea that they can't do it themselves. We can, okay? We can. So... Yeah, as far as rad engineering goes, right now we're selling our basic kit for 1600 bucks. If you contact VPO at radengineering.tech, you can get your own kit. If you go to radengineering.tech, you can watch some videos and learn more about us. It's a, it, that website is a brochure website. It's a work in progress. But because we're going to a conference in a couple months, we needed something up quickly. My focus has been on the notes application and on JS8 Interop the last few weeks. So we had to squeeze some time and build out that website, but it's there. So if you go to radengineering.tech, you can learn more about us. 
And if you email VPO at radengineering.tech, you can order yourself one of these kits. You can be one of our first customers. The price tag is 1600 bucks. Now, we are interested in doing a cost plus model, which means it could get cheaper for people that want to participate on a deeper level with this organization, which means setting up a listening site, setting up a retransmission site, stuff like that. But again, for the basic kit where you get everything you need, including customer support, because we do not want to lose you. Yeah, I'm just one person. Justin's just another person. Beth, who's on our team, is just a third. And, and you know, we'll probably trick Beth's son, AJ, into doing some stuff. But we're not that many people yet. So when I say we're going to give you customer service, we're going to do the best we can with the resources we have. But we're not going to abandon you. If I learned anything from my experience with GoDaddy, it might be true that you make more money from grifting, from, from stealing from people. It might be the case that, that the CEO of GoDaddy now is so proud that he rips people off. But the fact is, that's not good business. That might be a great way to run a criminal organization, to rip people off, to basically screw people out of their work. But it's not what we're going to do. Next topic. Here's a quote from Dr. Freckles, and we have a few of them this morning. Why is it better than sex to simply be with someone you love? In a bed, fully clothed. With no sexual implications. Because we are sharing the darkness together. Dr. Freckles. Why is it better than sex to simply be with someone you love in a bed? You got your clothes on, you're not going to have sex. Maybe you're snuggling, but the point is, it's not about sex. Why is it so good to have somebody in your bed in the darkness of night? It's because you share the darkness. It's one of the reasons why these dogs have helped me so much. I don't, you know, they don't really sleep in my room and that's fine. And I know that they're not as smart as people. I don't really care. I think a lot of people get obsessed about how smart they think they are. <laughs> Chances are they're not what they think they are. But yeah, I'm not going to have some great philosophical conversation with Boomer, the Sharpay. Fact is, Boomer's, you know, he belongs on the Jersey Shore. If you ever saw Boomer, this dog, I mean, <laughs> he's the kind of guy who would hang out in the Jersey Shore in his, in his, you know, swimming trunks and show off his muscles, you know, in the summertime. That's Boomer. But when I get up in the morning, he's outside my door, and maybe it's because I give him some of my eggs, maybe it's not. <sighs> the reason why it can be so powerful to have someone in your life that you share a bed with, and, and I haven't had that in almost 10 years, probably more given how my marriage ended, but the reason why is because you're sharing the darkness together. It doesn't solve it, it doesn't end the darkness, doesn't make the sun rise any faster. But you both are in it together. Now I'm saying this because there are people out there whose marriages have been really just torn asunder by more than a decade of lies and bullshit. It's not just the monkey herpes, it's not just the last couple years. If you lived through the last decade and a half, you've been exposed to lies and bullshit and manipulation. You've been told everything's fine so that when you come home from work someday and everything ain't fine, you're the jerk. You're the bad guy. You're the bad girl. You're the bad wife. You're the bad husband. 
Brothers and sisters, there are things in this life that matter and there are things that do not. There are things they tell you matter today that are going to be worthless one day. And I don't think that day is very far in the future. And there are things they tell you that are worthless today, like love, like relationships, like having a wife or a husband. They tell you it's worthless. In, an, in the not too distant future and probably already for people today, that kind of thing is going to be priceless. It's better than sex. It's better than all the things that we've been told they're great. Just have someone you can hold on to in the darkness of night. And if what you have is a cat or a dog, then God bless, because at least you have somebody. Next topic. Here's another quote from Dr. Freckles where he reveals his age. When I was 16, they showed me space with death. When I was 16, they showed me space was death. I'm going to read an, uh, an article from Britannica.com, so it's kind of an encyclopedia article. The Challenger disaster, the explosion of the U.S. space shuttle orbiter Challenger, shortly after its launch, happened on January the 28th, 1986. The primary goal of the shuttle mission was to launch a second tracking and data relay satellite. It also carried the Spartan Halley spacecraft, a small satellite that was to be released by Challenger. On January the 28th, 1986, the shuttle blew up. And, that's, and you can read the rest of this article yourself. It's more of just a, a footnote, right? In January of 1986, I was in the library, I think, at Mount Vernon High School. I was a sophomore, and they had a TV with the volume off, and it was on because it was a shuttle taking off, and back in the early 80s, it was like, oh, the shuttle's taking off again. The giant truck or bus that goes to space and costs boblimptoff billions and comes back down all glidey-like, and it's really cool. The shuttle's going up. And I was in that, you know, library looking at the screen, and then all of a sudden, boom. And there was all the frustration and all the hand-wringing, all the right dramatic cues from the journalists on TV, everybody telling us it's going to be okay and space is dangerous. But the reality is, the time spent, the focus of that entire affair, um, the pomp, the circumstance, basically sold a different kind of message. The message of January 1986 is, you know, space is death. If you go to space, you're going to explode. Oh, you know those O-rings, they fuck them up. If you go to space, you'll get the cosmic ray. It'll give you cancer of the anus. If you go to space, you'll find yourself in orbit without any way back down they'll make a movie called gravity to tell your wretched story if you go to space the space monkeys the space aliens will shove something up your butt if you go to space well here's a little 
thing you should research. Research the number of people that during the 16th century, and I picked the 16th century because it's not particularly special, but it is, because it follows the, the quote-unquote discovery of the Americans and blah, blah, blah. Research how many people died crossing the oceans in the 16th century as a percentage of people that decided to go, whether it was a slave, a sailor, or some traveler from Spain. Research how many people crossing the Atlantic in the 16th century. And believe me, people were crossing other fucking oceans. Research what percentage died. And ask yourself, how many ceremonies, how many pomp and circumstances happened every time a sailor or a captain or a slave died at sea? I'm not saying that it wasn't sad what happened. But looking back, the message wasn't, well, it's sad. The message was, holy shit, space is dangerous and there are O-rings that'll fail. And it's, if the smart people at NASA can't get it right, we sure as shit can't get it right, fuck. The message of 1986 was learned helplessness. No, you can't go to space because you'll explode. Brothers and sisters, if we decide as a species to really break out into space, people are going to die because space is fucking dangerous. Anybody that tells you space is not dangerous is probably crazy. And anybody that tells you that space is real and hasn't been there is equally crazy. Oh, Dan, you're a flat earther. No, I'm not. I am. An, I call myself this and I stick to it, even though I've had friends mock me for it. I am a cosmological agnostic. Why? Because the Lord in heaven can create this universe any way that he wants to. Anyway. Okay, I'm not saying he's going to confuse you. He's not a demon, okay? Get over it, Descartes. Okay? God does not exist to deceive you. So whatever universe you have is going to be real. But that doesn't mean you know what the fuck it is, human being. Where have you been? Have you traveled around the world? Great. Have you been to space? Given that the number of people that have been to space is still less than a thousand, the chances you've ever been to space is, from a statistical standpoint, zero. If you take the floor of that, you end up with zero. Okay? There is no chance in hell that you've ever been to fucking space. If only a thousand humans on planet Earth ever, less than actually, I think it's closer to 700, Less than 700 people have been to fucking space, brothers and sisters. And they tell you there's like, what, 7 billion people on Earth? I don't care if you want to do the math on an annual basis or just take the raw number. The reality is, given the number of people that have been to space, you could make the, st the statistical argument, I think, that no one's ever fucking been there. So let's just leave that aside. But if what we're told about space is true, it's a dangerous fucking place. And if people are going to go there, they're going to die. And some will live. And that has always been the story. So the question is, why in 1986 did we take a wound and then take a knife and open the wound wider? Why did we send the message to a whole generation that space is a fuck? That space is dangerous. That if you go there, your nads will get irradiated. You'll explode at, you know, near, near Earth orbit someplace because some motherfucker at NASA, the Nazi Satan complex, didn't know how to fucking work with an O-ring. Okay? And no, I'm not going to explain what an O-ring is because you can look it up and have your own O-face. Yeah. In 1986, they told me space was death. Next topic... 
I wish people knew the difference between communism and kindness, between cronyism and competition, between coercion and voluntary cooperation. I wish they did. Life would be, would be easier. Dr. Freckles. That's a quote from Dr. Freckles. He's right. People are really confused. People think cronyism is competition. It's not. If you think cronyism is competition, you are confused. If you think coercion is the equivalent to cooperation, you are deeply fucking confused. And in the near future, that, that confusion might kill you. Because right now, there might be cops and lawyers that will protect you from your fucking stupidity. But in the near future, that just ain't going to be a thing. And, and frankly, I kind of think it's not a thing right now. Despite all the, th the threats and the fear-mongering, a lot of it's bullshit. You know, the Alex Jones FEMA camp shit is another kind of renting out your brain. Really, it is. Okay. Maybe there'll be FEMA camps and maybe people will get on the buses, but they won't have to. And whatever happens there will be some type of gaslight hellhole. A lot like Chaz Chopia in Seattle or January 6, 2021. A lot of bullshit. A lot of government bullshit. If you do not know the difference between communism and kindness, the near future is going to be hard for you. Because nobody owes you anything, but that doesn't mean people don't want to help. Nobody owes me anything. I do ask for donations and I get a few, but you don't owe me shit. Nobody owes us anything. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be kind. And, that, and I, I forget for a moment that I'm not talking about the Beatitudes or the kingdom life or Christ, okay? I am a Christian, but just take that away for a moment, okay? There is a difference between being kind and being a commie. If you don't know the difference, life is going to be hard for you. Next topic. Like I said, we have a few quotes from Dr. Freckles this morning. How much stuff do you need that you will never use? How much crap do you stack in your garage that you will never use? Once again, how much stuff do you need that you will never use? Dr. Freckles. Someone today, um, you know, a good friend brought up the issue of minimalism. And, and I have to say, I am basically a minimalist, but I came to this conclusion the same way I came to anarchism. It was what, if you survive long enough and, and you don't end up, you know, you don't die, which I guess is kind of like redundant. If you don't die and you live long enough, you're going to learn a few things. And, and part of the learning will be about being punched in the face. I became a minimalist in part because I didn't have the money for storage. I didn't have a place to put all my books. After the first time I, I became homeless, um, everything went. 1999, no, I think it was November of 1999, all my debate team trophies, all my personal knickknacks, and a lot of other stuff, including books I had to just give away, um, all that stuff went away. And a lot of it ended up in the dumpster. Now you could say, well, Dan, I can't believe it. I can't, you, you gotta understand that not all of us lived, you know, a life where we 
had to make easy choices. We all have to make hard choices. Most of the people I know have to make a bunch of fucking hard choices. If you don't have to make hard choices, God bless. But I still ask the question, if you got a lot of shit piled up in your garage, why? Why? If it serves a purpose, if it's prepping, if it's food, if it's something you're going to use either today or in the future, that's fine. That's your fucking business. And it's your business anyways. Okay, I'm no fucking commie. But I still have to ask the question, if you have shit piled up in your life that you're not using, it's just sitting there, why? Did somebody tell you, did the TV tell you that the way you measure your value in life is how much shit you have stacked up? Why do you listen to that voice? I'm a minimalist in part because that was the school of hard knocks I went through. I ended up at minimalism because my life is less stressful, okay? I don't have a car, but I also don't have a car payment. I don't own a home, but I also don't have to worry about fucking property taxes and homeowners associations and weird political bullshit that always is connected to homes these days. I don't have to live in that fucking, you know, sideways snake pit of owning a home. Okay? Now, would I love to own a home one day? Yeah. But I'm not going to do it with a mortgage. I'm going to own it. And if I can't own it, I'm not going to have it. And part of owning something in the real world is being able to fucking defend it. Part of the reason I'm a minimalist is because there's nothing for them to take. When GoDaddy fucked me in November... It was a little bit bad, but it wasn't that bad, and I wondered why. Shit like that used to make me angry as fuck. When I say that, that was like 10 years ago. 10 years ago, that shit would have made me super duper angry, and I would have gotten super duper crazy. But when it happened in 2021, it was like, eh, it sucks, but this is bull blimp talk. This is reality. If you don't have the ability to tell the difference between the things you need and the things you don't need, the coming months and years are going to be very hard for you. There are people who've created a trap for themselves with the shit they own. I have friends who are almost as homeless as me, but they still pay to keep shit in the storage someplace, okay? I'm not beating them up for it, but that's not my way, all right? I don't, you know, I don't have the trust that these people have, but more importantly, I don't see the fucking point. I wish I could have a huge library, and God bless, if this business works out, I'm going to have one. But I will own it. I will protect it. And if there's a book there, it's a book that is meant to be read. I hope to have a home, a place where I can lay my head, but it'll be a place I can use. I need about a thousand square feet to fulfill my dreams, okay? Which is basically about, I don't know, five times bigger than that shitty apartment I was living in in Seattle in that snake pit world of Bull Blimp Talk 2020-2021. Five times bigger than that, a decent plumbing for pooping and peeing, and I'm happy as fuck. If I've got a wood stove so I can heat up that place, my God, I am rich. If I can grow my own food or at least live in a community where it's grown... I am a king. The reason I'm a minimalist is really quite simple. Part of surviving on this planet, this, this grinkin' planet, this Boblimtok place, part of surviving is knowing what you need and knowing what you don't need. It took me a long time to figure that shit out. I was about 40 years old when I started seeing the light there. Next topic. And like I said, this is a long podcast because I'm 
trying to do one a week while I'm working on this project, so we'll see. Next topic, the lazy thinker says the following. I must poison my neighbor to become rich. Another quote from Dr. Freckles. I'll, I'll say that quote again. The lazy thinker says, I must poison my neighbor to become rich. And this goes back to that other quote from Dr. Freckles, people not knowing the difference between communism and kindness, not knowing the difference between cronyism and competition. People, a lot of young people have been told that business people like me that want to start a business are going to poison their fucking neighbors. And believe me, we've had a lot of FCC ham radio trolls coming after us since we've been doing this project. Oh my God, you can't use a CB radio to do stuff. Oh my God. Fuck. The assumption is, if you're in business, you want to poison your neighbor. You want to harm your neighbor. You don't care about your neighbor. You must be a sociopath. But if you go for government, you must be a good person, folks. That is upside-down logic. As someone who's worked both in the private and the public sector, as if there's a fucking difference in Soviet America, but as someone who's worked in the private and the public sector, I can tell you that some of the shittiest fucking people I've ever met work for the government. Not all of them. I have a sibling, a sister I love. She works basically for the welfare department, or I think she still does. She's a good person, and God bless. I think she's going to be okay. You know, She may not be able to keep her job in the future, but she's the kind of person that will find a job. Her life will still keep functioning because I think she's a good person. She's a smart person. She'll be fine. But most of the people I've met in government are shitheads, and, and the ones in charge are usually evil fucking shitheads. So if your perspective is, well, Dan, if you're a businessman, you're going to poison your neighbor. Brothers and sisters, the United States government in the 20th century fracked for natural gas in a couple of different states using nuclear weapons. The United States government tested over a thousand nuclear weapons above ground, many of which in the South Pacific we ruined communities. We gave communities cancer. There is now a leaking dome of radioactive gumptus in the Marshall Islands that is seeping into the Pacific. That wasn't a businessman that did that. That was fucking government. The Soviet government nearly drained the Aral Sea. And it's not completely drained, but they nearly drained it. It wasn't a private businessman that wanted to drain it. It was the fucking government. All the Agent Orange that's going to lead to birth defects and cancer in Southeast Asia for the next 1,000 years probably, yeah, that wasn't a, a private business person that wanted to poison the people of Southeast Asia. That was the people you fucking voted for, baby. All that depleted uranium that blows around the Gulf, blows around Iraq, blows around... Saudi Arabia and other places blows around Syria. All the depleted uranium that blows around Afghanistan will be giving people cancer and leading to birth defects for millions of years. That wasn't a businessman like me that did that. That was the fucking people you voted for. So please, once again, tell me about your theory that a business person wants to poison their neighbor. No, I, I, I would love to become rich in the sense that I would love to have my needs satisfied, which would be great. And currently, in that sense, I am rich. I don't know about next month, but right now I'm rich. I've got my needs satisfied. I got food, I got water, I got shelter. I have entertainment. I have some dogs I can walk every day. And I live in a community 
Yeah, it's in Utah, but at least not everybody is batshit crazy. So actually, as of today, March the 9th, 2022, I am rich. But I would love to have the money so I can be rich for more than just one month. I would love to have the money to get a little piece of property up in the Uinta Mountains of Utah because, frankly, I've found the place I want to spend the rest of my life. I would love that. But will I poison my neighbor to do it? No. Will I kill my neighbor? Will I gaslight my neighbor to the point of suicide? Because, oh my God, there's a magical Rona. There's a magical COVID-19. Will I be a shitbird to my neighbor to make a buck? No. I've actually lost jobs. You know, good paying jobs because I chose to do the right fucking thing. Probably ruined my fucking marriage. So am I going to change all of a sudden and start dumping whatever fucking poison into the nearby river because, hey, I can make an extra buck? No, fuck you. And if that's the kind of business person you are, fuck you. You're a grifter. You're a thief. You're a murderer. You're like Bill Gates. You're a poisoner. A mass poisoner. And people like that, yeah, they deserve the electric chair. They deserve worse. They, de they deserve a, a fucking car battery hooked up to their fucking nuts. And if you think you should poison your neighbor to become rich, the days, the weeks, the months, the years to come are going to destroy you. Now, if you're a sociopath, you don't fucking care. But if you're a real human being and you currently poison your neighbors, you run a fucking hospital system and you lie to people about what killed them. No, it wasn't the hospital-acquired infections that killed pretty much a bazillion people prior to 2020. It was a magical Rona. Write that one off, lawyer. If you think it's okay to push the drugs and to push the lies, if you think that's going to work, you are very mistaken and your life will become a hell. You see, people like me aren't going to forget. I might die, but there are a lot of people like me that won't forget what you did. If you participated in the lie of 2020 to make a buck, the Lord's reckoning is coming, but believe me, there are a lot of people like me, maybe not me, maybe I'll be one of the ones that die before it happens, but there are a lot of people like me that are going to find you. So no, no, you don't poison your neighbor to become rich. That's not a law. That's not something you say, oh, well, we need a law. We already have a bazillion laws about that. And, and the rivers are still turning to poison. The oceans are dying. The orca whales are fleeing the poison, but there's nowhere to go. Listen, we got all kinds of cops, all kinds of prisons, all kinds of laws, and we are killing the planet. It's not free people that want to poison their neighbors. It is the greedy, crooked cronies and the government that do this shit. And, and a reckoning is coming. And when I say poison, it could mean financial bullshit. I know a lot of people doing crypto. They're doing crypto. They think crypto's great. Crypto is bullshit, brothers and sisters. And if you're currently making a buck off of crypto knowing it's bullshit, a reckoning is coming. I hope the fuck you live in the middle of nowhere. I hope the fuck you live so far beyond the mountains and the rivers that no one can find you and seek you out. There are people being told to jump into crypto today with whatever money they have, money they're going to need to buy gas, money they're, need to, they're, they're going to need to buy food. If you're selling people crypto in March of 2022 as a way out, and, and more importantly, you know better, you're a piece of shit. 
You're a poisoner. You're a killer. You're ruining people. You're a scumbag. And you're no businessman or woman I'd ever want to hang out with. If you had a special club for the good business people of Salt Lake City, fuck you membership. I don't want it. I never really did, but I definitely don't want it now. Because your philosophy is one of destruction. Fuck you. Next topic. Another quote from Dr. Freckles. It is impossible to work for the government. It is impossible to work for the government and work for freedom. Sorry, it is. I used to, listen, in 1996, I took the oath as a U.S. Army officer. And at that point in time, I was, you know, deeply confused. Deeply confused. I really did believe I was signing up to defend a free republic. I was confused. Now, I will forgive myself because I grew up in Mount Vernon, Washington, and we were at least 10 or 20 years behind the times. So a lot of the crooked, nasty shit that people tell me about from the 70s, it really wasn't happening in Mount Vernon, Washington in the 70s. So, you know, in my own defense, I was very naive. I was very naive. I, when I was 26 years old, I actually believed I was going to defend a free republic. You cannot work for the government and work for freedom. Every buck you get to your pocket, every buck you make, is a buck that was stolen. It was a buck that was printed. All that is grifter money. And that money hurts people. You want to talk about poisoning rivers? Yeah, it's not literal poison what the Federal Reserve does. But in terms of people's economic life, it might as, it might as well be. You cannot work for government and work for freedom. If you currently believe in liberty and you're working for the government because you need to make a buck, I get it. I get it. We're all on the same Death Star, brothers and sisters, but that shouldn't make you feel any better. Next topic. Another quote from Dr. Freckles, you've never been offended? <laughs> you need to have that experience and get over it at least once, Dr. Freckles. So in 2007, I had a lunch meeting at the Detroit Athletic Club. Okay, and if you don't know, it's one of those smoky, snunky, sklunky places where the rich and the powerful hang out. So I, I kind of felt special that day. And I was sitting down at the table with the CEO of Henry Ford Medical Center and, and another dude. And this other dude says, dude, you're a software engineer? And I said, yeah. But you're Irish. Oh, boy. And I remember talking to my friend Dave about this on the way home. Dave, at the time... He wasn't technically my business partner, but we were a partnership of sorts. I worked for him. I didn't like the industry. It was healthcare. It was revenue cycle. I don't want to talk about it, but it was money. And, and at the time, I was in a different stage of life. I, 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 I understood the poison, and I wanted to fight against it, but the reality was people were being paid to push the poison around. In this case, people were being paid to recover money from ordinary patients to recover money from insurance companies. We all hate them. And if you're an insurance company, people were being paid to make sure that, you know, the bill, that the amount being billed was correct. I mean, there was money to be made on a lot of garbage, a lot of junk transactions. That was revenue cycle healthcare back then. I doubt it. I, I doubt it's been any different since Obamacare. Probably worse. Um, Probably more people are making money in revenue cycle because of how crony and, and overly complex it has become. I sat down at that table and I had been a software engineer for about 
I think six years. And the guy says, dude, you're Irish. How do you program computers? How can you do that? The implication was is Irish people should be lawyers or cops. They should, you know, maybe write a, write a play or, or sing a song. But stay in your fucking corner, Irish man. And if you want me to tell you that's the first time that happened to me in my whole life, that would be a lie. When I was 16, I wanted to become a physicist. I didn't want to become a lawyer. I didn't want to become a fucking priest. I wanted to be a physicist. And everybody in my life, in terms of high school, pointed me in the right direction. Well, Dan, you're really good at public speaking, and you should be a lawyer and a politician. And that was the path they said, oh, that's a good path. No, that's a shitbird path. I wanted to be a physicist when I was 16. Uh, folks, everyone's got regrets. And one of my greatest regrets is I didn't have the courage to believe in myself at times in my life when it would have helped. Okay, another difference today from then is I do. I might be much older. I might be nearly burnt out. Every part of my insides might be melting. But I believe in myself. And, and like I said, I believe in this project I'm working on. But when I was 16, if some teacher said, no, Dan, you can't do that. You can't, you can't, you know, you can't do the mathematics and the physics. Well, don't worry about it. We're just going to give you an A. You go ahead and you give them speeches. That's great. Of all, of all the worthless wastes of time, and, and again, you can say, well, Dan, you're podcasting, so it couldn't have been a total waste. Well, maybe it wasn't. But of all the worthless wastes of time, the debate stuff was kind of a waste because even though it used my mind and even though it was kind of intellectual, it was mostly about trying to convince people using really articulate bullshit. And the thing I like about computer science and math and logic, and the thing about, I like about science and engineering in general is that if you play the game of bullshit, you're going to die, okay? Listen, you can talk all you want to about bullshit, but for example, traveling to space, bullshit does not help you with an O-ring. It doesn't. You can have all the fucking lawyers in the world, but they're not going to keep a Boeing airplane from nosediving and killing a bunch of fucking people. Your bullshit and your laws and your lawyers and your cops are not going to help you keep the lights on. Sorry. In 2007, I had a dude basically say something to me that I would have said, okay, that would have been appropriate in 1897, but not 2000. And it wouldn't even have been appropriate. It just would have been understandable. So there are people out there who say, well, Dan, I was called a bad name. I was called the N-word. I was called the J-word. People mocked me, made fun of me. Get the fuck over it. Man, woman, child, adult, you need to be offended at least once and get the fuck over it. The more time you spend on pieces of shit that use the N-word, the more time you spend on pieces of shit that mock you for your religion, the more time you spend on pieces of shit that want to break you down because you're a woman or because you're gay is a waste of fucking time. Everybody should be offended at least once in their life. Believe me, I have been offended multiple times. During the Bush administration, this last Bush administration, not the first one, I felt like I was offended every fucking day. And, and it was by everybody. Democrats, Republicans, people would spout shit that made zero sense and everybody would applaud and it was offensive. And guess what? Like others before me, I would fight to my death to defend your right to say whatever stupid shit you want to say. Just like Voltaire, right? You have a right 
to say stupid shit. I, I have a right to walk away. You have a right to use the N-word. I have a right to look at you with a scowl and walk the fuck away. You have the right to say that Irish people can't program computers. And guess what? I have the right to walk the fuck away. And if you've never been offended and you've never figured out how to deal with it, you need to because that's part of becoming an adult. Okay? Figure your shit out and get over it. Next topic. So I got a, a link from a friend of mine. Oh my God. I'm not going to read the article. It's in, it's in the notes. But the article is from the Wall Street, Wall Street Journal. And it is it was published on ugh, March the 4th by Aylin, Aylin Woodward. Fucking A. Aylin Woodward, March the 4th. And the title of the article is Space Junk Just Dug a Big New Crater on the Moon, Astronomers Say. And I gotta say, this could be a headline you could find on Pornhub. Space junk just dug a big new crater on the moon. Yeah, that sounds like a Pornhub title for a short movie. I don't know, starring Ava Adams. She's wearing a very tight spacesuit. And the, and the, maybe the name of the movie is Space Junk Colon Just Dug Big New Crater on the Moon, which is a reference to the A-hole. Yes, this is the title of a Pornhub film about anal sex. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this because I talk about space off and on. And if you can tell, I'm what's called a skeptic. I'm not saying there is no space. I'm saying I ain't been there yet. And when I count the number of people that have said they've been there, it isn't that big a fucking number. I mean, it's such a small number that a, a clever statistician can make the claim that no one's ever been to fucking space. But the point is, I don't know. I have no way of knowing it. I just think this title is fucking funny. Space Junk Moon Craters. That is a Pornhub film. It writes itself. You know, Ava Adams. She's traveling a shuttle heading towards the moon. She's traveling through space to save the human race from space junk. But space junk is really the nom de guerre of some dude. His name is space junk. And at the end of the film, at a poignant moment, space junk empties his gumptus into Ava Adams' moon crater. And oh, God, you just offended me, Dan. Good. Good. If you live on Planet Bull Blimtock, in the very near future, you won't be able to tune it out. You could you could have 50 fucking iPhones all over your fucking room like you're some crazy priest from the first Omen movie. Like you're laying out crosses to keep Satan away. You could have a thousand iPhones to block your view. Coming very soon to a, a reality near you is the kind of shit that you won't be able to block out. And you're going to be offended. Get over it. But as far as space goes, fuck you. I want to go, and guess what? I'm not going to ask fucking permission. One of the things that rad engineering is going to be involved in is outer space when we have the money. We don't have it yet. So, oh, so I've been watching the show, and it helps me with programming because it's, a, it's like white noise. A particular show, if I'm, if I'm listening to it, I can write the code. It keeps out, I was going to say the voices. 
If you have any sensitivity to reality these days, you can kind of feel the screams of people even if you're not watching TV. So that being said, it helps. It helps me focus on the programming. It helps me tune out all the bad energy and I'm just gonna leave it right there. But I've been watching this show called Lost. You know the show Lost, you know, Jack and Sawyer and, and Little Freckles. Um, yeah, I've been watching the show Lost. And in season one, episode five, there's this one scene where Soon, the Korean woman, says in Korean, when will someone tell us what to do? Episode five. When will someone tell us what to do? And I think the last episode of the season, there's another dude who says in Korean, well, you are not free. You're not free. I like Lost because it does. It helps me tune out the bad energy so I can write the code. It's a good pick. You know, I've got a few seasons left, which means I've got a few thousand lines of code I can finish off. It's going to get me through beta. It's going to get me through the first kits being sent out, probably the whole fucking Lost. I, I'm, I'm on season three now, but again, I could watch it again because it's this perfect kind of idiotic white noise. It's perfect. It doesn't have any significant meaning, even though every fucking episode, everything is supposed to feel so meaningful. It's a lot like that fucking um, show Space 1999, with one exception. It, it, it isn't quite as bleak, you know? At least you have a tropical island, some attractive women... Space 1999 has attractive women, but it's so fucking bleak. It's just horrible. They walk around with these electronic dildos on their fucking sides, walking around talking into their dildos. Space 1999 is bleak as fuck. But Lost, despite being idiotic and stupid and a, 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 way too much drama for so little meaning, Lost is pretty good because it's got that tropical island and, you know, yeah. But soon says, when will someone tell us what to do? And again, why would I just take a snap of that particular scene and, and put that into the blog? I'll tell you why. Because since 2020, and probably my whole adult life, but definitely since March of 2020, I have met a lot of people who are like soon. Just think, they're just saying to themselves every fucking day, when will someone tell us what to do? Put on a mask, take off a mask, put on two masks, get a shot, get three shots. Oh, if you don't get a new booster every day, you're going to get the monkey herpes. When will someone tell us what to do? I got a better one for you soon. When will you grab life by the balls and take charge? And actually, as characters go, she's an empowered character, so I don't want to beat up on Soon too much, you know? She basically becomes a powerful character, and so she has to have some initiative. But I will say, it is meaningful to me to think about the simple statement, when will someone tell us what to do? Folks, you need to stop that. If you sit at home in a city someplace, and you're saying to yourself, oh, I'm a city folk, I just need to be wait, to, you know, I just need to wait to have someone tell me what to do, you're going to be waiting until you're dead. The United States government is in collapse. I don't know what the fuck's going on in China, but I'm pretty certain it's sideways there and it's not about the fucking Rona, okay? It's entirely possible that they have a cultural revolution part two going on there and we don't know what the fuck's going on. And like I said, I'm a skeptic. Until I know for sure what's going on in China, all I can tell you is they're lying. 
Our government's lying about it, and so is the Chinese government. It is just as likely that China is in a state of civil war than anything else. Oh, but Dan, how could that be? In the last 200 years, China spent more than 50% of its time in chaos. So really, flip a fucking coin, asshole. Okay? Again, getting back to basic fucking math. But, but, but the communists, but the communists are probably the rarest, most extreme thing that has ever happened to China culturally. There is not one time in Chinese history prior to the communists that matches any of the stupid bullshit they've been doing. Tell me again how it's the fucking Rona. You don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. But if you're waiting for someone to tell you what to do, you are waiting to die. I'll, I'll do one better, actually, okay? If you need someone to tell you what to do, you need to say a prayer. There is a person in heaven, I believe in, who will help you with your path. You need to pray. If you're like soon, waiting around for some gumpto human with all the flaws that every fucking human has to tell you what to do, you're waiting to die. But if you do want to ask for help, real help, you need to learn to pray. You need to get yourself a Bible, you know. There are different versions, so... I guess I could say get the NIV, but get yourself a Bible. And more importantly, as you read and meditate upon the word, learn to pray. You just don't have to wait around for some stupid human to tell you what to do. You really don't, brothers and sisters, but you can. And it means you're not free, brothers and sisters, if you do that. You could be, but you're not. So one of the fucked up things about our reality in America right now is anywhere you go, and I don't care where the fuck you go, I don't care if it's Seattle, Los Angeles, I don't care if it's bumfuck, Boblimtok, or Grinkentown, wherever the fuck you go, Dayton, Chicago, Dallas, you'll find a fucking Home Depot. And if you go to that, that fucking Home Depot and you say, can you help me with my fucking bathroom remodel? That there'll be somebody, oh yeah, I can help you, I have a book and a movie. Try this. Go to a fucking Home Depot and say, you're building a shortwave antenna. And you need some coax cable and some, you know, particular gauge wiring. And you will see their, their eyes gloss over. You will see them shake and quiver like they're the air conditioning repair people in the movie Brazil. You ask one of these Home Depot freaks anything that has to do with radio or antennas, and they might point you to the fucking TV antennas for the digital TVs, but they won't be able to help you. But Fry's Electronics, Fry's, if you've never been there, guess what? You don't get to because it's over. It's bankrupt. It's gone. You'll find a Home Depot in every fucking crack of this country. You'll find a Walmart in every crack of this country. But you won't find a Fry's Electronics. You won't find a Radio Shack. You ever ask fucking why? If you want to sell me on globalism, shut the fuck up. It's Stalinism. They don't want you to know how to fix things. They don't want you to have knowledge. They want you to be stupid so you can be compliant. There are many things that allowed 2020 to happen. Probably one of the things that led to it was intellectual laziness. People thinking, I can't know, no one can know. If you don't know what's in it, you should take it because you don't know. Shut up. Stop it. But what's worse is that these same fuckers will get all screaming, Oh my God, my house prices. Oh my God, my home price jobs. Oh my God, my Home Depot job. 
I hope they lower rates. But you go up to say, well, I lost my job at Radio Shack. And, oh, that's too bad. But, you know, that's just what happened. But, oh, my God, my home retirement. Oh, my God, my home flipping scheme. Oh, you lost your job in electrical engineering. Well, that's got to go to China. Oh, no, that's, so, that's too bad. Yeah, you go up to one of these house-flipping motherfuckers in Seattle. And you have a conversation. They will cry and moan about their interest rates and about their, their fucking real estate schemes. You mention to them that as far as electrical engineering goes, America's closed for business and they don't give a fuck. You want to know why the coming months and years are going to be really hard for some people? Because there are some things that matter and some things that don't. And a lot of people don't know the fucking difference. They believe it's just as good to have a Home Depot as it would be to have a Fry's Electronics. Wrong. I don't want any commie bullshit. I don't want any too big to fail. That's why we have the Home Depot and not the Fry's. That's why we have stupid motherfuckers flipping their homes to make money and then complaining about homeless people. That's why you have the intellectual laziness you have. Okay? You're, you'll see a, a, a news article coming very soon about people losing their jobs at Home Depot. And, and, it, and they will focus on that like a fucking laser beam. Tell me about all the shows you saw about the Radio Shacks and the Fries being shut down. Tell me. I didn't see them. Well, I don't watch TV, but neither did you, fucker. You were told it's globalism and it's okay, but God forbid your fucking house scheme falls apart. There are things you're going to need to eat. Like, you're going to have to have food to eat. Do you know that? And it just doesn't magically appear at the grocery store. If the technology breaks down to move that food to the city, the food isn't coming. You want to know one of the reasons why we're involved in rad engineering? Why we want to put the internet on CB radios and get the fuck away from the deep state? To save some fucking lives. No one's going to deliver you food through ESP. You can sit on your fucking toilet all day with your little fingers on your temples and meditate on a burger arriving, but other than it coming out of your butthole, it ain't going to fucking get there. If you want it to get there, you have to have logistics, you have to have supply chain, you have to have business people, and better yet, you have to have business people that aren't communist pieces of shit. The fries are gone. Okay, I mean, F-R-Y and soon F-R-I-E-S. The fries are gone. The radio shacks are gone. Okay, chances are your kids go to a high school where they're shutting down electronics classes and power mechanics and replacing them with racial studies and pubic studies. Great. But a day is coming, and I'm, I'm talking about reality because reality is one of the curses, brothers and sisters. Oh my God, curses, yeah. When Adam and Eve left Eden and that door shut behind them and closed behind them, they were cursed to live in a world where, you know, you just can't sit around and fuck around all day. And eventually, consequences hit you over the head. You got Home Depots everywhere. You got Walmarts everywhere. But, but you know, I will say, in 2018, I could go to a Fry's, crack open my laptop, replace components inside... At the fries, there were tables set up, there were tools available. Those are gone. You can go to Home Depot and you can remodel your fucking bathroom. But like I said, want to play a fun fucking game? Ask them, you know, how would you set up a shortwave antenna? Like I said, they'll, they'll start shaking. Oh. Or probably, if they do help you, the manager will come by and say, no, no, that was wrong. 
You need to sell them the, the new toilet. Radengineering.tech is opposed to learned helplessness in all its forms. So if we can, we're going to try to reverse the garbage the commies did. But if you're one of these motherfuckers who think they're, who actually fucking believes there's a future in flipping houses, that that's how America can work, the, the months and years ahead are going to hurt you. And if you don't know the difference between the things you need and the things you don't, you will be trapped and destroyed by the things you do not fucking need. Next topic. Titanium. And I don't know if this is still, still true because they, they're talking about nickel right now. Nickel being shut down, embargoed, no more nickel from Russia. But I got a link from a friend of mine who, who works in aerospace. And just about a week ago, he was told, no, don't worry about it. The titanium will keep flowing. And, and I've got a link to an article you can read. It's written, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the importance of Russian titanium to the global blah, blah, blah. Yeah, to Stalinism. That being said... As of this article, which is about a week ago, the titanium was going to keep flowing. Now, damn, why do you care about titanium? Modern warfare, as we know it, that's missiles, that's bombs, that's jets, that's fan blades. Modern warfare as we know it would not really function very well without fucking titanium, okay? So if you actually cared about the situation in Ukraine then what you would do is you say, no more titanium. But that's not what happened, brothers and sisters. It's one of the reasons why you should look a little bit of a stink eye towards all the CNN and Fox News bullshit. The titanium is still flowing. One of, the, one of the critical assets for warfare is still flowing. God knows the American deep state military industrial complex doesn't want to live without it. And I hate to break it to you, America. We don't have a lot of titanium here. So if we want to get any fucking titanium, it's pretty much coming from Russia. If you want to know how real any of this shit is, tell me why the titanium is still flowing, and then we can have a fucking conversation. Next topic. I was going to talk about MySQL. You know, I've been thinking about arrays. Arrays, um, arrays are one way of thinking about how memory is stored. You can think of it as a kind of list of items or places you can put data. But arrays are part of computer science and programming. And with MySQL and a lot of other SQL scripting languages, even though they can be procedural, you can write procedures and functions, they don't really have a definition of arrays for a couple reasons, but not least of which is you can treat a table like an array, a temporary table, a, you know, a table in your database, and, and you can do that. Um, with functions, you've got to be careful because there are behaviors that can make a function non-deterministic. And the fact is, the functions you want to deal with in general when it comes to SQL systems are deterministic functions. So if your function depends upon a table being populated or not populated, then all of a sudden the inputs you know, are not predictable. It's something that can change. So anyways, I thought about basically using functions as arrays. Like what if you simply define, and it's, I know it sounds stupid, you define a SQL function which simply returns a value based upon a value. So you put zero in, you get six out, you put one in, you get 12 out. The point is, if you do have something that's, that's an array you need to use, because I've been working with these maidenhead things, so there's a, a lot of code that uses arrays, you can actually define an array as a function. You can. I mean, and, and, and in computer science terms, it's not the craziest thing to do. I mean, in some ways, if you have a fixed array, there, there's probably 
it's probably not a crazy idea to put it into a function. You can always update a function. You can always change the, the structure of it. But if it's an array that you, you hard code into your code that should always be the same, then maybe it does belong as a function and not as a table. Again, next topic, because this is stupid, this is boring. Next topic. Hieronymus Bosch. We're going to read a, a little bit of a biography of Hieronymus Bosch. And this is from HieronymusBosch.org. Hieronymus Bosch, born, I think, that, I'm going to say Jer Jerome Antonysen van Aken. I'm sure I said that wrong. He, he's some kind of Dutch guy. Hieronymus Bosch was born Jeronymus van Aken. He signed a number of his paintings as Bosch, uh, pronounced Boss in Dutch. The name derives from his birthplace, S. Hertogenbosch which is commonly called Den Bosch or Den Boss if Bosch is boss. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just terrible. Little is known of Bosch's life or training. He left behind no letters or diaries. And what has been identified has been taken from brief references to him in the municipal records of Sarhatenbosch and in the account books of the local order of the Brotherhood of Our Lady. Nothing is known of his personality or his thoughts on the meaning of his art. Bosch's date of birth has not been determined with certainty. It is estimated he was born in 1450 on the basis of a hand-drawn portrait, which may be a self-portrait, made shortly before his death in 1516. The drawing shows an artist of an ad advanced age, probably in his late 60s. Bosch was born and lived all his life in and near Sir Hartenbosch, the capital of the Dutch province of Brabant. His grandfather, Jan van Aken, died in 1454, was a painter and is first mentioned in the records in 1430. It is known that Jan had five sons, four of whom were also painters. Boss's father, Antonius van Aken, died in 1478, acted as artistic advisor to the Brotherhood of Our Lady. It is generally assumed that either Boss's father or one of his uncles taught the artist to paint. However, none of their works survive. Boss, or Bosch, whatever, Boss, first appears in the municipal record in 1474, and he is named along with two brothers and a sister. Hertenbosch was a flourishing city in the 15th century Brabant, in the south of present-day Netherlands. 1463, in 1463, 4,000 houses in the town were destroyed by a catastrophic fire, which the then approximately 13-year-old Bosch may have witnessed. He became a popular painter in his lifetime and often received commissions from abroad. In 1488, he joined the highly respected Brotherhood of Our Lady, an arch-conservative religious group of some 40 influential citizens of Sehertenbos and 7,000 outer members from around Europe. Oh, that sounds interesting. Sometime between 1479 and 1481, Boss married Elate Goyert van der Meerveen, who was a few years older than the artist. The couple moved to the nearby town of Orschat, where his wife had inherited a house and land from her wealthy family. An entry in the accounts of Brotherhood of Our Lady records records Bosch's death, records Boss's death, in 1516. A funeral mass served in his memory was held in the Church of St. John on 9th of August of that year, 1516. 
Now, you might be asking why I just read this. You know, Boss created a number of things called triptychs, and triptychs are basically art forms in three parts, like a painting and panels, three panels. Um, he is famous for these triptychs, and I, I believe he did some murals as well, but he's famous for these triptychs. If you've never seen one of his paintings, there's a, a, a little bit of one of his paintings in the graphics for this podcast. And I would suggest you look upon that painting, because on it I put cities. And let me explain why. Because, again, I don't claim that my interpretation of his art is correct, okay? His art, in many cases, deals with hell deals with the afterlife and specifically damnation. Um, it deals with consequences where you see people living in pleasurable earthly delights and then you see them tormented for eternity by the devil. And, you know, again, he was raised in a Catholic culture and there's a lot of paganism in Catholicism. It's, 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 there's a lot of it and a lot of Catholics don't like talking about it, but there's a lot of paganism in Catholicism and the concepts of hell that the Catholic Church sold during the Middle Ages, they weren't really based upon anything that Christ said or God said. Yeah, there are references to consequences throughout the Bible, but the weird ornate hells of, of torture and, and beatings and all kinds of pain, these are very much a product of Roman culture, Roman paganism. These are very much a product of something that is not very Christian. That doesn't mean I know what hell is. I'm pretty certain that there are consequences. Hell could be non-existence. Like it literally could be the case that if you live a life on this planet and you're a piece of shit and you don't have faith in God, then you know, you're just going to blink out. You're just going to disappear. There'll be nothing. And for some people, that sounds great. A lot of sociopaths love that. Hell could be eternal damnation, but neither you or I know what that looks like. I mean, no number of paintings can, can prove or disprove. They're simply one person's interpretation. When I see some of Hieronymus Bosch paintings, I think about cities and I think about government. I think about the way in which our current society is structured. When I look at his paintings, these eerie, and if you've never seen a Hieronymus Bosch painting, you really, really, really need to take a look. But when I see his paintings, um, his triptychs, you know, off the internet, I couldn't possibly afford one in person. There is a kind of postmodernism. I mean, it's weird to say that. It's the fucking 15th century, right? But there is a modernistic, if not postmodern, aspect to the paintings of, of Hieronymus Bosch. Now, he didn't necessarily mean that. He didn't intend that. I have no idea what his thoughts were. You know, the, the great thing about artists is that they can often inadvertently and not on purpose reflect truths of the deep subconscious, the deep universe, the, the parts of the universe that you can't see but you know is there. Artists tap into that, and they often give us a view of that. And when I look at his paintings, yes, it could be hell. But in a metaphorical sense, he could have been describing the cities of the future, what city life would be like, you know, not in any literal sense, okay? But if you look at his paintings... And you ask yourself in that figurative sense, how does it feel? It feels like a modern city. It feels trashy. It feels psychedelic. It feels manipulative. It feels like you're going through one torture system after another. It feels like a Hieronymus Boss painting. Another quote from Dr. Freckles, cities are the graveyards of graveyards. <laughs> well, this is based upon a conversation I was having with Jim a few weeks ago where he said he used this quote that cities are the graveyards of armies, and this is true. 
But I just think cities are the graveyards of graveyards. It, they don't have to be. It's like so many other things in our life. Cities could be different. We could have a different relationship to the urban environment, but we don't. It's the same reason why you'll have a Home Depot and every ass crack of planet Earth if the same blimp talk continues, but the fry is gone. The, the Radio Shack is gone. Cities are the graveyards of graveyards. They don't have to be, but they are right now. Cities are filled with a lot of people, but really not a lot of food. And so when you look at that Hieronymus Boss painting, imagine city life a year from now. And if you think that the demons, a.k.a. the government, is going to tell you that there's going to be no food at the grocery store, how can I put this, brothers and sisters? You know all the fear-mongering the Alex Joneses of the world have done with the whole, in 2012, the Obama administration bought boblimtok billions of fucking rounds of ammo, <sighs> That's been one of those memes floating around for years, along with the FEMA camps and, and all, the, all the body bags and, and, and plastic coffins. Shut the fuck up. Here's, here's, what's, here's what reality is, though. Reality is they have probably been stockpiling food. Like, I, I can't prove it, but some of the food I've seen recently at the grocery store leads me to believe that we are working off of warehouses at this point in the United States of America. I don't know how much more the Norman Borlaug dump poison on the Midwest so it ends up in the Gulf of Mexico shit we have left, but I doubt we have much more because the Midwest is becoming a fucking desert. And, it w and a lot of it will be a desert, not a dust bowl, like, oh, it's a dust bowl, but we'll fix it. No. The, the Norman Borlaug, he got a Nobel Peace Prize bullshit is coming to a fucking end. And all the food you have in that city comes from that system. And that system is in collapse. You should get yourself a picture of a Hieronymus Boss painting. You should stare at it and ask yourself, does this feel like a city or does this also feel like the city that is to come? Cities are the graveyards of graveyards, baby. They don't have to be. They didn't have to be. We didn't have to end up here, but we did. And if you are in a city and you don't have a plan to get out to where there's food, probably you're going to see shit that would rival any crooked fucking fantasy of hell that Hieronymus Boss ever came up with, and you're going to be seeing that fucking painting real fucking soon. And it's already on display in Beirut. It's already on display in South America. It's already on display in Africa and probably in China. You're not being told the truth, brothers and sisters, of what, whatever's going on in China, they're lying. Fuck you. Oh, but I know somebody. You don't know anybody. You have some Chinese exchange student living in your fucking basement. What percentage of fucking Chinese do you think ever get to do that? And then ask yourself, what, what, would, what would he tell you? What would be the truth that he would tell you? I think he'd lie to you, you fucktard. I think he'd tell you everything's fine in Chinaland. The commies are great. He's not going to tell you that there are bombs going off in factories. And the reason why you can't get shit off of those ships is there isn't anything on them. It isn't because of stevedores. It isn't because there's not enough cranes. It's because China is shutting down. Those fucktards out there telling you China's going to take over the world and are grifting you for bucks on their podcast, I will tell you this. A, China's not taking over the world because that's a stupid job to begin with and, and it's you know the Lord's job. And B, 
I think it's way more likely that China has been in a state of civil war since 2019 than any of the monkey herpes, race war, sideways Trump, Russia, Russia, Russia bullshit. And by the way, did you know you need titanium to build bombs? That's, I'm bringing that up again for some people out there, motherfuckers, who tell me, well, oh God, the Ukraine thing is real. How fucking real could it be if we're still going to trade for titanium? You, you need it for weapons. How real is that? And if you say people are dying, they could be. When governments do psyops, they're not just psyops, they're snuff flicks. People die. I have no doubt that there are governors and mayors in this country that conspired to murder, actually kill grandmas and grandpas at rest homes. I have no doubt that a lot of people were pushed to death, pushed to suicide, pushed to overdoses by these lies. So I'm not saying no one's dying. And I won't even say there isn't a quote-unquote war going on. But if, you, but if you're telling me that it's real, it's, it's a real thing that had to really happen, no, no, it's not real. It was optional, and it's another fucking excuse. It's the hackers, it's the Russians. The reason why you can't get food is all, it's bullshit. If you're stuck in a city and you don't have a plan to get out, a plan to get out to some place where there is food, you will probably die. And I figured out those numbers in 2015. You're probably dead. You just don't know it yet. Next topic. I got something from my friend Seattle Mike, and it's in the notes. It's a little poster, a little meme, and it says, if you can't describe your job in three words, and one of them is, well, I'm a, a, a software-as-a-service-based fintech sales analyst. Um, I'm a develop and maintain automated capabilities. Uh, I create systems to record blockchain data. And then the last guy says, I catch fish, and he's the one with the checkbox saying, real job. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's about right, brothers and sisters. You can write a shit ton of C-sharp code, God bless. You've been an orange badge at Redmond, which means a slave there for a few years. Oh, that's great. But none of that's going to feed your fucking family in the near future. None of it. There are ways you can get food. There are ways you can survive. There are ways you might even thrive in the near future because the world is not coming to a fucking end. But if you think the world owes you a fucking cheeseburger, you are confused. Nobody owes you shit. Nobody owes me shit. Nobody. I ask for donations on my podcast, usually at the end, and not, not every time. And if you send me a donation, God bless, I can use the money. But nobody owes me shit. If you enjoy my podcast and you have the money and you'd love to keep me doing this at least once a week and you have the money, which means you've taken care of your family, your food, your shelter, you've taken care of the things you need to take care of, and you still have some, some crony, shitty Fed dollars left, sure I can use the money. Who can't on Planet Bull Blimp Talk? Who can't on the Death Star? We all could use a little money. But nobody owes me shit, and nobody owes you shit. Oh, but I was house flipping, and they promised me my house. No. They might have lied to you and said your house will be worth three million bucks in the future. What they didn't tell you is three million bucks, if it does anything, might get you a cup of coffee. You're not owed anything. If you think you're owed something because you showed up, you're wrong. If you think you're owed something because you worked hard your whole life, sorry, you're, you're wrong. I, God bless if you work hard, but no one owes you anything. If you want it, you got to work for it. If it's there, you got to find it. No one's going to give it to you. No one's going to find it for you. They lied to you. They sold you on the globalist, Stalinist, 
learned helplessness bullshit because they promised you there would always be food at the grocery store. They lied. They promised you shit would always be flowing around the world off of fucking ships. They lied. They came up with grotesque fucking excuses and murdered people to make the excuses look real. They lied and they killed. And all those jobs are bullshit jobs. But catching a fish, I think that's quite real. And given that the oceans aren't doing so good, it's going to get harder and harder. Next topic. This is a reading, and again, I know I swear a lot, but I am a Christian, and I know the difference between foul language and curses before I continue. If you don't know the difference between a curse and a dirty word, your faith is in jeopardy. That's I, I give this reminder out because I know a lot of Christians, I, Dan, you shouldn't say shit and you shouldn't say fuck. But these same motherfuckers will curse people all fucking day long. They'll curse their neighbors. They'll curse people around the world. They'll say, I wish you were dead. And, and they'll do it. And, and well, at least I didn't say I wish you were fucking dead. No. Brothers and sisters, if you don't know the difference between a curse and a bad word, you're going to have a bad time. And you might end up in the literal Hieronymus boss painting. <laughs> Here on earth and in heaven. Well, not in heaven, in hell. The point is, you need to know the difference. So before I continue with this reading, yes, I use foul language. I don't think Christ loves it. I don't think Christ hates it. And yes, I talk about my spirituality, which I think Christ wants us to do. It's part of, you know, ministering to others. I'm a foul-mouthed minister. I am a minister of God. But I, and as far as, you know, my ministry goes, I've been on hiatus since I moved to Utah and since a little bit before that, and there's been a reason for that too. I think that I may end up doing more services in the future, but I'm, right now what I'm trying to do is my devotion through the actions on earth in this fallen place in service of God. And, and these actions are taking the form of starting a business. And you say, well, Dan, how can those things, how can they not? It's kind of like I said, how can you not start a business? But if you're a Christian, how the fuck do you keep those things separated? Do you tell yourself you can be a shitbird every day of the week except for Sunday? What the fuck is wrong with you? you know, but what about Romans? You know what Romans was written for? It was written for people living behind the Iron Curtain. It was not written as a way to be a Christian. It was written as a way to stay alive in Rome as a Christian. And given that Christians were being murdered left and right, it seemed like the right thing to do. But if you're asking me, what do I look to, Romans or 1 Samuel? I, I look to 1 Samuel, and I look to what God's telling us, and God's basically saying, if you hearken after a king, if you look for a king, a.k.a. government, government's going to fuck you. And when the, one, when the day comes that you cry out and say, God, why didn't you help us? Mm, God's basically saying, fuck you, you should have fucking helped yourself. But if you don't know the difference between a curse and bad words, brothers and sisters, you need to work on that. You really do. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. 
who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and the stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of the Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance. His love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel. His love endures forever. He, remember, he remembered us. He remembered us in our low state. His love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven. His love endures forever. I read Psalm 136 for a simple reason, because it captures where I'm at right now. Um, it captures... Where I'm at, I think a lot of Christians out there are probably where I'm at right now. Not fear, not fear, and not rage. A different kind of feeling. And you could call it certainty, maybe. Moral certainty, perhaps. But what it is, is a sense that, yes, God is among us right now. The Lord in heaven is watching over us right now. If you're out in the darkness of night and you're alone, and you don't have somebody to hold on to. You don't have a dog or a cat. I can tell you this, and you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to say it again. The Lord is watching out for you. I'm not saying life is easy. It never was. This is not Eden. This is not the Millennium Kingdom. This is the in-between time where people die, where people you love get sick, where governments are definitely corrupt, and where governments are going to lie to you and kill you. This is not Eden. This is not the Millennium Kingdom. This is the land that inspires artists like Hieronymus Boss. This is this reality. But if you're asking yourself, if there is someone looking out for you, there is. And I don't care if you flip homes. I don't care if you're a centurion. I don't care if you're a tax collector. I don't care who you are. We are all sinners. <laughs> and you're listening to one of the biggest sinners around. And I'm not proud of it. And I don't know that I'm ashamed of it. I do sin and I work on it. But even on my worst days, God is looking out for me and God is looking out for you. Now, if you're an atheist and you don't believe me, that's okay. I pray for you as well and I don't know all the answers. If you say to me, 
Do good people go to heaven even if they don't believe? I don't know. One of the great things about seeing Christ on the day that I'm supposed to see him is that a lot of things will be told and revealed. I will find out a lot of truths and I will be with my mom and dad and with my family, you know, forever. Or at least until the next part of the story, which again, I'm not a prophet, so I don't know where we're at in the timeline. What I do know is, is that there's a Christ in heaven and he cares whether you starve. He cares whether you're in pain. There's not going to be a guarantee of help. But I would ask one thing. Um, if you don't believe in God, stop blaming God. So many stupid motherfuckers out there, especially in pop culture, love to blame God. They don't believe in God. They claim not to believe in God. But they spend every moment they can blaming God for stupid shit people do. Stop it. Okay? It's childish. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. You need to understand consequences. I need to understand consequences. And we all need to stop blaming God for the stupid shit we do, especially like with 1 Samuel chapter 8, when God tells you exactly what will happen and you do it anyway, stop blaming God for the stupid shit people do. This is not Eden, okay? You can blame God in Eden. I don't know why you would. This is not the Millennium Kingdom. You can blame God. I don't know why you would. This is the in-between time. You are in a fallen world. Stop blaming God for the stupid shit people do. Stop it. If you want to blame God for the Ukraine, you're a dumbass. If you want to blame God for the Rona COVID, that nasty psyop that your deep state put onto you with the tax dollars you paid, stop it. If you want to blame God for Chapchosia or Chopchazia or whatever BLM Antifa fully funded by the Fed freaks are disturbing your fucking neighborhood, stop it. God didn't do that. Dumbass people did. All right? No amount of Pretending you're a dog and not knowing how the pizza ended up on the floor is going to help you. And if you stand before God on your deathbed or after death, if you're, if you're before the Lord of hosts, if you're before Jesus Christ and you take with you the idea that all the troubles and all the cancer and all the pain was something God did, you need to be careful because you might not be going where you think you're going. You might be going to Hieronymus Boss painting, maybe, right? Stop blaming God, people. You may not believe what I believe, which is his love endures forever. If you don't believe in God, fine. But my, my goodness, if you don't believe in God, why the fuck would you blame him for shit? Why? Stop it. God didn't do this to us. We pretty much did a lot of this shit to ourselves. And if God doesn't have a hand in something, there is a purpose to it. You might not understand it. I might not understand it either. I do know that when I die, I will. And who knows? That could be soon. That could be later. I'm 52 years old. Every day is a blessing at this point. March the 9th, 20... Wow. March the 9th, 2022. It's almost 4 a.m. Well, it is 4 a.m. So this has been a long podcast. Um, you know, before I go, if you feel like you have the resources and you want to donate, there'll be a link, but... Brothers and sisters, if you don't have the money, you know, keep your powder dry. I'm doing okay. I got food. I got water. I got shelter. I have dreams. I have a business I'm starting with my friend. Um, and I have a lot of friends in a lot of other places. I am rich. 
I have not felt this rich in my whole fucking life. Even when I was making six figures doing some stupid job in Seattle, I never felt this rich. I have none of the stuff you all would define as rich according to the TV set or the fucking smartphone, but I have never felt this rich. So I'm doing okay. Can I use money for food? Who, who, who can't? Could I use money to pay rent? Who, who couldn't use a little bit of cash right now? Call up Jerome Powell and have him send me a bazillion blimtock bucks. I'll take it. I'll put it to good use. Not, not, not likely going to happen, but because I would put it to good use. Um, but yeah, if you got a bazillion dollars and you don't know what to do with it, do yourself a favor. You don't have to donate, but go to radengineering.tech. For a very small amount of money, for, for an actual, you know, Jerome Powell rich person, for a relatively small amount of money, you can get a 5% stake in a company that, if the world isn't going totally sideways, could be worth a billion dollars in two years. And you can say, oh my god, Dan, that sounds outrageous. Well, actually, none of it's guaranteed, and it won't be because of an IPO. So it won't be the make-believe success of all those stupid crony motherfuckers and their kids, and you see them in photo ops. No, it'll actually be the hard work success. But I'm actually of the belief that we will be worth a billion, or whatever is a billion in a couple years. If it's gold and silver, fine. I, I actually kind of prefer that. We'll probably be worth that much in a couple years. You know, we have a good chance. So, if you have some money, and you've taken care of the people you love, and you've taken care of yourself, and you say to yourself, I don't know what to invest in, invest in us. And I'll, and I'll give you another reason why before I go. We, our feet are in two different worlds right now at Rad Engineering. Our feet are firmly planted in the world we're in right now, and we can make money in this world right now selling our product. I think it's going to sell itself in a few weeks. But what we're building is for also for this other world, this world that could happen, I think probably will, the world where dependence on government is irrelevant because there'll be no government to help you. And in that world, this is the technology that might feed your family, that might save your fucking life. That if you're in the middle of nowhere and you can't talk to anybody, this could be the way you do it. And you say, well, can I just do voice over radio? You can. But the great thing about digital is it's a success or failure type mode. So you can get those messages in and out in relatively clear ways. And if you need to rebuild a logistical network, what we're building in the RAD terminal and other, other systems like, you know, we're going to try to build bigger systems like the RAD truck, which will basically be a communications hub, a mobile communications hub. What we're building is going to allow people to make sure food shows up someplace. It'll make sure that food doesn't go rotten someplace else because this neo-Stalinist system is falling apart, but people still need to eat. You still need clean water. And people will want to know about their family members in places where they can't reach them by a cell phone or by the internet because the internet itself is also a big crony mess and it's going to fall apart too. So we have our feet in two different worlds and we're going to be ready for both. We're going to be ready for the world where things kind of fall apart and we're going to be ready for the world where they just kind of keep going where they're going in this crony kind of tyrannical way. And for both worlds, one of the core products we're selling is your freedom. Okay, and knowledge and understanding. And if that means we, we only make a little money and not Midas piles of money, Justin and I are okay with that. We're not doing this to make money. Yes, we are. We're, com we're not communists. We want to make money, but we're not doing this just to rape and pillage and grift. We're doing this 
because we love it. We're doing this so we can make money to pay the bills. And we're doing this because we need to do something. We all do. we got to stop being helpless and waiting to be told what the fuck to do. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you're waiting to be told what to do, then you're waiting to be in a Hieronymus Boss painting. So you have a great, great morning. I mean, it's 4 a.m. here. I guess the morning's starting, right? You go out there and take on the world with your Boglimtok technologies, whatever they are. You will wander across the land with a dog and a cat. You'll seek out gold. You'll seek out trouble. You'll seek out adventure. Go forth, brothers and sisters, and take chances. What are you waiting for? Death is always there. Go forth, brothers and sisters, and learn something new. If you're not dead, you can still learn. Go forth, brothers and sisters, and look at the fear and the lies in the face and just don't care. Stop caring about the liars. Stop caring about the lies. Go forth, brothers and sisters, and be free. And have a great day.